this week on Pep Talk. What about Magpie, the vegan pie shop? I'm Chris Fryer and I'm the founder and owner of Magpie. Please tell me you're using, would you like a slice of the pie in the marketing material? <laughs> no, but I'm going to write that down. <laughs> you can have that one for free. When the first lockdown hit in March 2020, we started offering just local delivery through the website. You know, we really built up. And I think what we learned from that was the ability to take a quick decision. If we hadn't have taken that decision, then we might have been looking at maybe Magpie going on the back burner and, and maybe taking jobs for that spell because it was a very difficult economic time. Our mission is to help 10 million people start and grow a business. In Pep Talk, we interview industry-leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how and life lessons. That's why we're excited to team up with GoDaddy to power Pep Talk. I have been using GoDaddy for years and would promote them on this podcast even if they didn't sponsor us. You can use their free website builder and start your online business at no cost, for example. You don't need lots of money to start a business if you leverage the tools at the Purposeful Project and GoDaddy. GoDaddy even help with naming a business. Check out the links in the podcast notes below to connect to GoDaddy tools. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Perhaps we can start off by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Hi, so I'm Chris Fryer and I'm the, the founder and owner of Magpie, um, a company producing fully vegan pies, which um, I founded together with my wife about two and a half years ago now. Um, and yeah, we're, we're looking to grow. We've grown considerably already and we're looking to grow even more over, over, the, over the coming years. So we're going to talk today about not only how you built this business and what you've learned, but perhaps how people can thrive and adapt in difficult times. And I, and I feel, uh, and I know you feel the same way, that this, this, the difficult times aren't behind us yet. People still need to be adapting and innovating. So um, I'd like to get into that a little bit and your learnings on how to, how to adapt and thrive in these difficult times. But before we get into that, perhaps you could tell the audience how you started this business. What, what was the beginning? It was a bit, a bit of a career change, really, for, for myself and my wife. Um, I was, for about 15 years prior to Magpie, I was a, actually a computer science teacher. Um, and my wife was a medical secretary. Um, and we'd been through, you know, some issues in our personal life with family bereavements. And, and we were just both ready for, for an absolutely a clean start. Um, we gave it a bit, of, a bit of thought and spotted a, a gap. Initially in the local market, we weren't even thinking about national or anything more than just our local area um, for some some quality vegan street food options. Um, when we were out and about on weekends at local events and markets, um, we were struggling to find, you know, the same sort of classic comfort foods or exciting street foods which were available to, to non-vegans. And, and we thought it was a, a real gap. It sound, sounded like fun. Um, and we decided to launch... Um, Magpie as initially um, serving pie and mash um, from a converted street food trailer. Um, and that, that's where we started. And things have, have changed along along the way over the last two and a half years due to some circumstances in our control and some out of our control. And was it a very quick transition from, say, being a teacher to, to, to starting the business? Or did you plan a lot of it out? How, how did that, that switch happen? Initially, um, I went part-time. So it would have been, you know, a bit of a cliff edge going from full-time um, professional job into something which I really had no experience um, or knowledge of. So it would have been a bit of a cliff edge. So initially, um, I dropped my teaching hours to, to like about three days a week 
I used the extra time not to go out and start trading, but to plan, to develop products, to research, um, to refurbish a horse box trailer to make it suitable to sell the pie and mash that we were planning out of. So there was there was a transition period of around a year um, before we, I think before we even sold one pie. It took us nine or ten months to, to get to that point. Wow, nine or ten months to sell your first pie, I guess. Exactly. Um, you know, the uh, lemonade stand image of an entrepreneur is, is perhaps a little bit wrong. You don't just put up a box in the street and start selling it. I guess there's probably a lot of regulations and rules you have to follow as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. We, we Part of why we did it, we wanted to do something new and, you know, we wanted to have a lot to learn and, and we found that to have that in front of us and sort of a, a clean page um, to be really exciting. So what was, you know, vital, I think, was developing the product because we do we do some product development obviously still now, but without that time and without the pressure of having to meet certain sales figures to to pay the business costs and, and all of all of those things that come with it, we really had the time to develop products which were strong enough to launch with and I thought that was vital. Now I know you've been working on a crowdfunding campaign. I'd like to talk about that in a minute as well and just understand how you prep for a crowdfunding campaign and, and, and what's involved. But but just finishing off the starting of the business, because I always think for a lot of our listeners to understand how to get going. I love this insight, the nine, ten months of planning and having the idea, I guess going part-time initially and then of course quitting. But structurally in the business, how did you fund it? Did you fund it from your um, savings? Did you raise investment at that point? Or, or, how, or how, did you, uh, how did you do it? We funded it initially from some, some savings. Obviously, we're not, we weren't talking about putting not even tens of thousands in. We tried to keep costs down. And the biggest um, thing that you can put in, I think, is your time um, and, and some hard work into it. And, Initially, like for, for around the first year, you don't really see much back from that. You know, you think I'm putting a large amount of hours, large amount of hard work into this. And, and you've got to sort of have that vision to see that at some point, which, you, you know, you might have that fully planned or you might you might not. But you've got to have the vision that at some point that, that work will turn into something. And so crowdfunding, how did you decide what platform to go with and tell us, what you've learned in that process well the, the reason why we we looked at crowdfunding so we're in our sort of third year now um so we've had steady growth we've had um but pretty much 100 percent growth year on year um so we're in a small production unit and we've reached a point um where the t- it'll be difficult to grow the turnover much more especially with what we do make in pies and the, the level up on the equipment that we've got, so the sort of the the next stage of equipment that we would need to produce bigger volumes, you're getting into you know quite highly priced industrial um, level equipment. So the options were look for maybe an individual um, investor, and we felt that maybe they, if you know, if we gave some equity to an individual investor, one person coming in and investing quite a lot, that they would potentially then want quite a lot of say, maybe a lot of, of influence, um, and they might want to have things done in their own way. Um, whereas crowdfunding, maybe 100 people, 200 people looking at the business, seeing promise and seeing that they could get a return on a smaller investment allow us to continue to, to develop in the way that, that we see that we'd want to. Um, then maybe the next stage further down the line, once we've got production and, and got the turnover up, is then to look for bigger investors 
and who can who can take it to the next stage, which will require a whole other layer of expertise. Yeah, it makes total sense. Again, I don't want the listeners to miss this op- this this point, which I think is crucial. That sometimes in in the need to raise money for businesses like yours, which can be huge capital requirements for a business like yours, that actually getting your customers as your uh, almost your investors creates almost some some loyalty community, and that community can help you grow, right? Yeah, we've we built up a community, quite a large community um, of customers. Um, we have, I think, being a vegan business gets people's passion up who, who are into that, and they'll they'll approach us and they'll want to talk about our business and they'll say what their ideas might be for how we could grow it. Um, and you can always take that. So we're hoping when we do launch the crowdfunding um, campaign that some of those people will will be interested in investing in and, and getting on board in a more formal way. And technically, how do you build a community? Technically, how are you doing it? Is it via emails? Is it via events? I think it's a combination of, of those things. I think in the early days for us, certainly the first year to year and a half, it was social media. Um, so the, the, the classic um, social media platforms that people use, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, is where we initially um, started to build a following, um, certainly in the local area. Um once the pandemic set in and we switched from, you know, being a local company and we transitioned quite quickly to having a website and becoming a more national company, we then looked at building up a, a mailing list, a contact list, um, which quite quickly grew. So people who just registered an interest on the website, people who bought, um, and we've now so we've now got mul- multiple channels. And then further down the line, I started looking at, at platforms like LinkedIn as well as the the more, um, you know, wide social media platforms. And, and we feel it's important to have a presence on all of those all of those platforms rather than just narrowly focusing and saying, am I going to be an Instagram business? Or I think it's good, it's good to have a presence on all of them as well as your own mailing list. And did you do things like, you know, hashtag vegans and then click through to other people talking about vegan-related subjects and, and comment and engage? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, like I say, because it's a... It's an area which people can get passionate about. Um, we've noticed the last year the, the environmentalism and sustainability aspects are feeding a lot more. There's a lot of crossover and into the into the vegan world. Um, so yeah, getting involved in campaigns. We're a palm oil free company, so we've we've been involved a lot in um, talking to people about that online and offline, and all these things help to raise awareness um, of, of what we do and, and how it can feed into those um, agendas. Now, which crowdfunding platform? Did you launch it? Now, when we broadcast this podcast, it might be your crowdfunding campaign has launched. So we'll put the links down below so people can support, contribute, and also see what happened. So, but what platform did you decide to go for and why? We're, st- we're still in the stages of choosing. So, th- so there are a number of platforms um, which all have different strengths and weaknesses. And we're in the final processes now. I think in the next within the next few weeks, we'll have chosen a platform. Yeah, but it's, it's not straightforward. Um, like I said, you've got to f- fully consider the the pros cons um, of each platform and which one would be more suitable for your business because different businesses, you know, might um, prefer different platforms depending on their needs. Well, yeah, exactly. You've got platforms like Kickstarter, for example, which you know people can literally buy your product in advance. You yeah. don't need to give up equity. And then you've got uh, platforms like Cedars or Crowdcube yeah. where you are actually selling equity in your business. Yeah, and so um, are those the decisions you're trying to make now? Is that we are? I think I think I think we're going to go down 
we're, we are going to go down the road of selling equity. Um, so it's the two we're mainly looking at are Cedars and Crowdcube. So I, I think it's it's which which one we go down. We're, we're in the final along with we've taken on some consultancy because we, we think it's such a big step. It's important to get some outside advice on it. So along with the the consultants that we're working with, that's the decision that we're about to make. I, I do like also Kickstarter type models because you don't have to sell equity and, and you're, you know, those people can become your customers. They buy your product in advance, right? And I think, for, again, for uh, a niche uh, like, like vegan products, that could work quite well as well. But, but you, it's not something you consider. Do you think equity is the right decision for you at this stage? Yeah, I think the stage we're at, I think maybe if we were at an earlier stage or if we were sort of pre-launch, pre-revenue, maybe we would have looked at Kickstarter more. I think the stage we're at, we, well, what we want to get from a crowdfunder is we want to be able to build capacity in the business to grow a lot. You know, we want to be able to get to the next stage, but we also want the capacity already built in to get to the stage beyond that in terms of what we invest in the production unit and in the sales and in the logistics. One of the difficult things, I think, from a crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding perspective that people face is you go to these platforms perhaps assuming that they're going to bring all the investors to the table. But in fact, you need to go to the table often with a lead investor or two, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's one of the things we've, we've been speaking about is how to market this investment and what sort of budget, what sort of um, tactics that, that we're going to use to market, market the crowdfunder. Um, we know it's not just a case of pressing the button to go live on, on Cedar and the money, watch the money roll in from it. You know, it's a, it's a big commitment for people and we really need to get out and inform people about what we do, who we are and, and why it would be a good idea for them to invest. Please tell me you're using, would you like a slice of the pie in the marketing material? <laughs> no, but I'm going to write that down. <laughs> you can have that one for free. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Taylor Brands, for supporting this podcast and entrepreneurs. Taylor Brands are aligned with our mission to help you start and grow a business and already empower millions of customers around the world to kickstart their business. With their AI-driven one-stop shop for aspiring small business owners with everything you need to jumpstart your business, such as a logo maker, business mailbox, online and physical business cards, printed merchandise, social media tools, and so much more. To find out more about Taylor Brands and how they can help you, click the link below and get 40% off your first order using the code PEP. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Now, I think the adapting and thriving in difficult economic times is a really interesting subject that a lot of people do feel. And you mentioned just a moment ago about, I guess, your pivot into the online world. Um, how do you see your sort of business being future-proofed? What, what's, what's your strategy around, around innovating in these, in these uncertain times? So when the, 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 when the first lockdown hit in March 2020, what we did really well um, we didn't, I'd registered a domain um, prior to that, but I haven't built a website despite my um, background as a computer science teacher. Um, so, you know, as soon as it became clear what, what was going to happen over the, we didn't know how long, but we knew what was going to happen pretty much at the end of March. Um, built a website, we started offering just local deliveries through the website. Um, and over the next year, you know, we really built up, it was a new business really compared to the street food business we'd initially planned. Um, and I think what we learned from that was that flexibility and the confidence and the ability to take a quick decision. And you might not always get it right. You know, you've got to be prepared that sometimes, and we've done this, that it might be a mistake, but making a quick decision, getting into a gap in the market or an opportunity in the market was vital. And, and we did that. And, 
if we hadn't have taken that decision and had the confidence to go forward with it, we might have been looking at um, maybe Magpie going on the back burner and, and maybe taking jobs for that spell um, rather than building it up because it was a very difficult economic time. Well, thank you for not doing that and, uh, and, and pushing through and innovating. Was it difficult to build a website? I mean, you, you mentioned there, you were, of course, you're an arts and science teacher. It didn't jump in my mind that that would necessarily give you the ability to build an e-commerce site. Is, is this something you learn on the spot? How did you figure out how to do that? It's, I registered a domain with, um, with GoDaddy. And the, the first point was I logged into that. I noticed that they had a, a free trial of a website, an e-commerce shop builder. Um, and I started playing around with it. And within about half a day, I built what I thought was a, a pretty professional-looking website. And the e-commerce side of it, which I know from my experience as a, as a computer, computer science teacher, can take a while to build and a while to get right. It was all provided. So within half a day, I built something that I thought was you know, going to work. Um, we gave it a bit of testing ourselves. And within a week, we'd start taking orders. And did you have to change the whole delivery logistics? I mean, suddenly... Perhaps you need motorbikes, right? You need a delivery system. How did you handle that bit? Initially, so initially I was out doing deliveries, which during the, that first lockdown was a bit of a dream, really, because um, there was barely anything on the roads. Um, as things progressed, we found that maybe that wasn't a good model, doing local local deliveries and doing it ourselves. And I remember I had fam- family members helping to deliver the pies as well. As the traffic came back onto the roads, we moved away from that and, and back into events um, and, and getting into wholesale business, more business to business transactions um, to avoid those logistical problems because it's, you, can, you can use other platforms or, or we could have hired a delivery driver, but it wasn't the model that we wanted to go down. We didn't think necessarily for, for what we do, selling you know, baked goods, that, that that would have been a good model. So what suited us at one point within a few months didn't suit us. So it's about, it's about having the flexibility. I think what we did well was remain adaptable, remain flexible and, and, and be prepared to try things. I think it's really fascinating. A lot of people would have got trapped into that local manual delivery system. Um, and especially if you said, you know, you enjoyed it and you're actually seeing your customers, aren't you? You're actually connecting to your customers in the real world and, and, what, and having an interaction with them. Did you tell them when you were making deliveries that you were the founder? Did you... You just act like a delivery driver. Acted like a delivery driver, yeah. But, but like mm-hmm. I say, especially during those tough, which were really tough times for everyone. And when you look back now, and it was nice to be able to to bring people something nice to their door and, and see their smiles and, and have a little chat. And some people might not have had much social contact at all due to what was going on. It's actually some famous TikTokers, for example, who um, made their whole business about their hand delivering products and they film it all. And, and, and that's actually made people want to buy from them even more. Um, it's the higher value items, but uh, but I, I really yeah. I actually do rate that whole direct contact with your customer piece. But I also think it's very smart what you did, where you said you analysed it and said, well, let's let's go more the I guess the B two B route, right, where you have partners that will do that fulfilment for you. Exactly. So was that like trade show type type things? How did you get into the B two B side? Mainly we start we started off um, mainly like local farmers markets. Um, vegan events, so being part of the, the vegan business community, we're invited and we can, we can find vegan festivals, not just in the area where we're based, but all around the country. And um, there's a sort of a, a bit of a ready-made vegan audience um, there to buy our products. Um, as times progressed and 
I think veganism's gone a lot more mainstream and I think we, we've moved away from the, the specialist vegan events back into um, more mainstream events because I think people are a lot more open to trying our products than, than even they were two or three years ago, which, is, which seems a short time, but things have changed a lot. Well, the editor of this podcast is a vegan and um, we researched you before we did the podcast and he's a big fan of your product. So it's uh, you're clearly reaching that demographic and I think that uh, that's creating almost like a tribe this is something I think people can learn from. Now, of course, it perhaps is easier when you're focused on something like a vegan uh, niche. But I, I think generally it's a really good strategy to have a very clear focus and know who your customer is and niche down in the way that you have. Have you found any challenges with that? I mean, of course, that community equally could, uh, could quickly turn on you if, uh, if, you, if you make a mistake, right? So um, but how, how have you felt about that side of it? We felt we're based in Newcastle. I'm um, at times, it feels like there's, I think, like I say, I think it's changing. Even in the last six months, I think we've noticed a massive change. But at times, it's felt like there's only a limited number of, you know, vegan customers in the area. And that's one of the reasons that we we started doing some national um, postal delivery is to, to reach out across the country. But yeah, I think especially when we when we started out or or even 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 about a year ago, it felt like in the local area, um, reasonably small city, Newcastle, and that there was only a limited amount of vegans and there was only um so many places you could you could go to sell them. But I think that's changing and, and like I say, what, what we what we did to combat that was cast the net across the whole country and, and go into a national delivery model, which we still do now. I also found it interesting um when when reading your different products, how you've again you've done this blend, I guess, of like vegan steak and ale and uh chicken leek and bacon uh, pies and so um, I always remember Oatly the brand one of my favorite brands have um, got themselves a little bit into trouble because it looked like a milk carton and the EU told them they had to change it and they fought back but I guess blending uh, what what is um, a, a, a real world you know meat product into the title of your vegan products is what what's the strategy there is that to make people feel like they, they're still having that but surely the whole point of being a vegan is you don't want that exactly um just because somebody has chosen to become vegan or even if somebody's just chosen to maybe become a little bit more plant-based and you know they might still eat some meat products they might still eat dairy products a lot of people are doing things like meat-free mondays or they're just aiming to cut down on meat products and we thought initially when we started out with street as a street food company the aim was to provide, you know, sort of comfort food. So, you know, a nice pie with some mashed potato, with some gravy. Because um, we found, you know, as long-standing vegans ourselves, um, that that was something missing from the from the market. Um, these sort of classic dishes, um, which can take you back to, you know, your youth. They can take you back to family meals that you had many years ago um, or just food that you used to enjoy. And it seems a shame just because you want to go more plant-based or become vegetarian or vegan that you would miss out and you'd have to change completely and think, you know, I can never have a steak and ale pie again or I can never have a chicken leek bacon pie again. So we thought it's an important experience, especially maybe for people who are transitioning towards a more plant-based diet to, to provide things which are familiar and comforting and that they recognize rather than entirely new products. Makes total sense. It's, an, it's a branding strategy, isn't it? I think that's the elongation of uh, the brand into the names of the actual products. And, and I, I, I couldn't, I think it's such a clever way to do it. I guess there's always that, um, that, that issue with, with people that have 
it's quite a big spread as to why people are perhaps a vegan, right? So there might be people that that uh, don't just don't believe um, they should ever eat meat again. So even if the words uh, seem like you're still promoting the concept of meat, but uh, but I, I really like it, and I can guarantee you, every single one of our listeners, having heard what you're talking about, there have left already. And I've gone to make themselves one of your pies with some mash. I know I, that's what I want to do right now. So um, thanks for conjuring up that image. But I guess just to end the podcast, and I wanted to ask if you had to start it all over again, what would you do differently in your business? I think one of the key things, um, and you know, the economic events of the last couple of years have without a doubt influenced us on this. I think if we could do it again, I think we would have got maybe a team in place earlier. Um, rather than taking everything on ourselves because there's a bit of turbulence in the economy and things are a bit unpredictable. I think we lack the confidence at an earlier stage to to bring in some expertise, to to hire a team, maybe to use external agencies. And I think if we'd done that at an earlier stage, um, our growth could have been more rapid and we might have been potentially looking for the crowdfunding um, that we're looking for now at an earlier stage. Mm, I think it's a good point. People, I guess, are nervous when you start a business to hire people, that feels like additional cost, doesn't it? And a bit of a burden. Yeah. But I have found also similar to you that if you actually hire someone, it can actually push you to grow the business quicker and they can help you grow the business quicker. So being brave on that front is is good advice, actually, I think for a lot of people. Um, it's actually harder to do a business without help. <laughs> we found that definitely. And it might not even be looking at hiring a team and getting a team in place, even just you know using some... There's a, a great organisation that, that we um, liaise with in the, in the northeast called um, Food and Drink Northeast. It doesn't cost anything. If you want to do more formal consultancy with them, you can, and they, they have all sorts of options. And just being able to chat to somebody like that, which because of the lockdowns we had and the social um, restrictions, I think it stopped us being able to reach out to people like that at an earlier stage. Well, well done and excited for um, us to all see your journey unfold we'll put the links to your business down below and i'm off for lunch to have a garlic mushroom pie made by you thank you very much thanks for having me thank you for listening to our podcast today and i hope you got value from it please feel free to follow us on any of our social media channels and if you have any questions about business ask us we will help you again we want to thank our sponsor godaddy for supporting this podcast from naming your business and buying a domain name to building a website for free, GoDaddy has you covered. GoDaddy provides us entrepreneurs with all the help and tools we need to grow a business online. You're not alone, entrepreneurs. See you in the next one.